person and work of Jesus is crystallized and solidified by death rather than shaken. Our experience, our emotions can waver and can vary, but the truth of what God has done is highlighted and is strengthened in the face of death rather than, than demolished by it. And I, I, I praise God for that. And I've been, as I was praying for, for those of you that were hurting this week and, and, and praying throughout the week, we knew that, that June, Steve's mom, was, was close to death. And I was praying that she'd be with Jesus soon, that, that her suffering here would be over and that she'd be face-to-face with Jesus. And um, yesterday when I got the news that, that she was with Jesus, my thought was, Jesus wins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has another of his saints in his presence. He is receiving the glory from yet another one that he has redeemed and the uh, Emmanuel, God with us, his triumph as he's been with families this week and with individuals that are hurting and that feel lonely and God has been with them. And the Prince of Peace has in fact brought peace where peace doesn't belong in this world and where there wasn't peace in this world, the Prince of Peace brought peace. And the testimony is that Jesus wins. And that's who we gather to, to worship this morning. That's who we gather to, to, to lean upon and to, to draw from. And that's who we gather to, to learn from. Um, so we want to pray for, for as, as Chris did, we want to pray for those that are hurting. We want to pray for us now as we turn to the Word of God. And as then as we continue in the Word of God throughout the morning. Um, and then I'm going to give you my outline. There's not an outline in the sermon because... We knew as the week progressed that uh, Steve, might, Steve's, Steve might not be preaching, so when it came time to print the bulletin, um, we, we just left the sermon portion blank, but I'll give you that information in just a minute. But first, let's pray. Father, we gather before you, and we are uh, so grateful for Jesus Christ right now. Uh, in the moment of when, when we consider entering into your presence, we are so glad that we enter into your presence not based on our actions and our activities and our perfection, but that we enter based on the nature and the person and the work and the perfection of Jesus Christ. That he has, in fact, gone before us, that he paid the price, he has reconciled us fully, he now sits at your right hand interceding for us as your people, claiming us as your own. And we are so grateful and we worship you. And we ask that those among us and those around us that are hurting deeply, we ask that you would comfort them in ways that they have never known. As Chris prayed, Father, those that don't know you, would you use this pain to open them to you, to draw them to yourself? Would you make yourself known to them right now? And those that are hurting that do know you, would they be anchored by you in a whole new way? Would they experience your goodness and your love and your presence and your peace and your strength and even your wisdom to know how to speak, would they experience that all in, in a new way that they may be able to bear witness to who you are and what you have done for them. Father, we, are, uh, we, we gather before you now. We ask that you would use uh, your word well in us. We ask that uh, you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would strengthen us where we need to be strengthened, that you would uh, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and that we would would leave this gathering today loving you better and loving each other better and equipped to go walk with you better this week. 
for your glory and honor. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as you saw on the screen behind me, and Chris read, we're going to be in John today, John 15. The name of the sermon is very simple. Fruit. You know, like the fruit that you use to make jelly that goes in your peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Or maybe a different kind of fruit, but fruit. That's the name of the sermon. The passage is John 15, 1 through 8. And it's a very simple, simple intro, uh, outline. There's an introduction. Then point one is Jesus' intended outcome. Point two, the disciples' role and purpose. And then we'll conclude. This past spring, after Sarah and I got engaged, I started thinking of, you know, honeymoon. Where are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And um, I started doing some research and found a, a resort in in Virginia that uh, we wanted to go to. So, well, she didn't know where we were going, but I did. We booked the condo, and um, a couple, I did that in May. And then at the, right at the beginning of August, the month before the wedding, I thought, I'm going to call and just confirm the reservation, make sure everything's good. And so I called, and they couldn't find the reservation. And um, I said, okay, well, maybe somebody else can find the reservation here. So who can you transfer me to? And this was spread out over multiple phone calls and multiple hours. And uh, I mean, I had a printout. I knew I had a reservation, but they weren't finding it. And finally, the kind of the icing on the cake was a gal that I was talking to. And she said, well, this is like four or five weeks away. Maybe just call back a couple days beforehand, and we'll probably have found it by then. <laughs> and I said, I, I mean, it was a miracle of sanctification that I didn't reach through my phone or throw the phone or something like that. Um, but there was definitely passion in my voice as I rationally explained, no, you don't understand. This is my honeymoon. It's too important to just wait and see. Like, I need to know that this is going to work. And um, in the end, it did work out. The place was great. We will probably never go back. <laughs> um, but that particular trip was just too important to take a casual wait-and-see approach. I couldn't wait and see on that one. And I've been thinking a lot lately about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And, and I had this thought in the process, like, how do we know we're doing this right? How do we know that we're actually being the kind of disciple that Jesus intends us to be? It's a pretty important thing. Like, getting our walk with God right is really important. So how do we know that we're doing it right? And of all the things in this world... Isn't that something that we should not take a, well, we'll wait and see approach to? If I was worried about banking try at a reservation for a honeymoon, I really should be sure that I'm going about my walk with God right, that I am actually moving down the path that he intends to move me down. And there's two passages that have been really helpful as, as I've evaluated that and thought through that, and so we're actually going to walk through both of those passages this morning. Um, before we get there, I will say there is a lot in both of these passages that we're not going to be able to get to. So this is not going to be an exhaustive uh, unpacking of everything that's there, but more um, a, a, some helpful points as I've thought of what is discipleship? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What am I supposed to be doing? Am I on the right path? And these two passages have, have really cleared away a lot of clutter, and they've brought some essentials back into clear view. And as we walk through these passages this morning, I hope and pray that you are, are gripped afresh by the importance of following Jesus rightly, and that you will get a clear, 
a clear vision of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you'll be hearing it for the first time today. Maybe it's a reminder. But either way, I hope it's a tuning fork that we can compare our lives to and say, am I on the right track? Or have I kind of cluttered up the process with things that I need to clear away? God designed our discipleship path to maximize his glory. And that's what drives me. My passion is that the Lamb of God who was slain, that we rejoice right now that he has new saints at his feet. I want him to get the praise and the glory that he deserves. It's all his. And, and we see in his discipleship plan that he calls us into that. And he gives us both a, a voice in the chorus and this awesome opportunity to bring more along with us. And that's all his doing. So the first point, Jesus' intended outcome, that's actually from Matthew. Matthew 4, I'm going to read verses 18 through 20. And this is right at the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. As he begins to gather disciples to himself, he tells them exactly what he's going to make them. He tells them exactly what he's going to make them. He says this in Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Do you see there what Jesus says he's going to make those that he is calling? What's the outcome of following, of following Jesus? It's becoming fishers of men. Verse 19, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's actually incredibly simple. Following Jesus rightly means that we become those that go after others. Following Jesus rightly means we become those that go after others. Along the way, in the process of walking with Jesus and going after others, we become many things. Uh, we will hopefully become more patient and more gentle and more compassionate and more truthful and more honorable. And as we become those things, we become uh, better spouses and better parents and better children and better employees and better bosses and better neighbors and better friends. But all of those things that we become are incidentals. They happen along the way of becoming fishers of men, those that go after others. Jesus doesn't gather his disciples and say, I'm going to now make you more moral. That actually comes later in the process because it turns out if we want to actually accurately represent Jesus, then we need to be like him. And that means I need to be not like who I was without Jesus. So following Jesus is a transformational thing. But the one thing that counts in Jesus' economy here is that we become those that go after others. That's what he set out to make us. when we clear away the clutter of what it means to follow Jesus, of what we can think it means, of, of the, this, these thoughts that we have of, if I'm following Jesus, then I need to do this, and I need to be like this, and I need to not do that. Those are often very true, but they're not the goal. 
there are the incidentals that happen along the way. The goal of following Jesus is becoming those that go after others. Everything else, having a, a peaceful home, serves the process of going after others. Because now we have a home that we can invite others into, and they can see what it means to live out Jesus, and they can be introduced to him. Or having a loving marriage serves the purpose because it's a place where husband and wife are refreshed and renewed and sanctified to be able to go out and represent Jesus. And raising your children well helps them grow up so they can put Jesus on display rather than put their selfishness on display. So all of those things matter, but they serve the greater purpose of becoming those that go after others. As I thought through this passage, to be honest, I was left a bit uneasy. Because if following Jesus rightly comes down to this one thing of going after others, then I want to know how to do that one thing right. What does that mean? And that leads us to, to the second passage. John records the night of the Last Supper in more detail than anybody else. And he records um, the upper room discourse. It's, uh, it, Jesus kind of has a little sermon for his people and a long prayer that are recorded in John. Uh, and it's just his disciples that are gathered, and it's full of precious truth. I encourage you to work through John 13, 14 through 17. It's a wonderful section of the Bible. But there, when Jesus was giving, in a sense, final instructions to his disciples, he, he told them how to how to be successful, if you will, at being his disciples. He said, this is who I want you to be. This is how I want you to be. And he gave them the tools that they would need to be his disciples. So we're going to look at one of those. One we're not going to talk about right now is the Holy Spirit. Jesus at that moment promises the Holy Spirit, the coming of the indwelling Spirit of God that changes us, that enables us to understand his word, to live with him, to walk with him, to know how to interact with people. It's a precious gift. But we're going to look specifically at John 15, 1 through 8. It's the passage that Chris read a little bit ago. And this is, moves us into the second, uh, the second point, the disciples' role and purpose. And that's the two things that I want us to see in this passage, the disciples' role and the disciples' purpose. But let's read John 15, 1 through 8. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. What we've got here is uh, a little allegory that Jesus uses to illustrate the relationship between God the Father, God the Son himself, 
and, and his disciples. That would include us. There's a lot in here, but there's two things that I want to pull out, and that's the disciples' role and the disciples' purpose. There's three characters in the allegory. The vine dresser, who's in charge of the vine. The vine dresser is the one that has the plan for it. He knows what he wants to accomplish with the vine, and he knows what to do in order for that plan to actually happen. The vine dresser is in charge of the vine, and in verse 1, Jesus tells us that in this story, God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the one overseeing the plan. He knows what he wants to accomplish. He knows exactly what to do to bring that about. In verse 2, Jesus identifies that there's branches. These branches, uh, like any branch on a vine, they're expected to bear good fruit. If they do bear good fruit, the vine dresser uh, prunes them. He cuts them back and he reshapes them so they'll yield more fruit next time around. And if they don't bear fruit, he cuts them off and he throws them in the burn pile. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus identifies himself as the vine and us as the branches. So the vine dresser in charge of the whole operation is God the Father. Then Jesus is the vine, the source of life, the one that everything flows from. We're the branches, and we're the go-betweens between the vine and the fruit that we're supposed to produce. That's the story that, that Jesus uh, lays out for us here. Let's focus on our role as Jesus' disciples for a minute. And that's really clearly laid out in verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We're branches. Disciples, we're branches. And those of you that garden know that branches are supposed to produce something. Branches... Uh, a good branch yields good fruit. It's as simple as that. A good branch yields good fruit. Bad branches don't yield fruit. They yield really bad fruit. Good branches good yield good fruit. And a branch, whether you garden or whether it's the vine dresser, God the Father, inspecting the vineyard, a branch is ultimately judged by the fruit that it yields. And yet, at the end of the day, a branch is really just a conduit. The branch gets what it needs to sustain itself and produce fruit from the vine that it's attached to. The branch isn't responsible for going into the roots and gathering up the, the necessary nutrients. And the, the, vine, the branch isn't responsible for anchoring this, the plant in the middle of a storm so it doesn't get blown away. Um, the, the branch is just a conduit. That's all it is. We disciples, we're the branches. We're the conduits. Our role is simply to cling to Jesus and to pass on what we get from him. That's our role as disciples. We're branches. We cling to the vine, to Jesus. We cling tightly for dear life. And we let the, the, we get the, li we let the life of Jesus, all that he is, flow through us to produce the fruit. That is our role. Now let's look at our purpose as Jesus' disciples. Verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So our role is really simple as branches. We hang tight to Jesus. We hold on tight for dear life. But we do that, we hold on to Jesus for a purpose. What's in, in verse 5, what's the, the purpose of out or outcome of the branch clinging tightly to the vine or of, of us as disciples clinging tightly to Jesus? Fruit is produced. Fruit is produced. And, and what's more, we see that if we're not clinging tightly to Jesus, we're not going to produce anything because we can't do anything if we're not clinging tightly to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's our purpose as Jesus' disciples. Bear fruit. That is why we are here as his disciples, to bear fruit. It's not just so that we can be more comfortable in life or so that we can have better relationships or so that we can be better adjusted in this broken world. That might happen along the way, but we are here to bear fruit. Our purpose is to be the branch that clings tightly to Jesus. And our purpose, sorry, our role is to cling tightly to Jesus. And our purpose is to bear fruit. As we cling to Jesus, we are transformed. Being connected to Jesus is transformative. But the point of the connection isn't just what happens in the branch. The point of the connection is what comes out the other end. The fruit that we bear. That's the point of the connection. The point of being connected to Jesus is what flows out of me, not just what happens in me. We are connected to Jesus so that he can flow through us, not just so that he can be in us. Remember Matthew 4.19 when we started, Jesus set out to turn his people and to those that would go after others. As his people, our, our role is to cling tightly to him so that he can flow through us. And as he flows through us, fruit is produced. Well, the, the next logical question is, well, what's the fruit? What are we supposed to be producing? I get it, we cling to Jesus, he flows through us, but what are we supposed to be making? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, if we stay with the illustration that Jesus used here, we're branches on a vine. It, what determines what kind of a fruit a branch is going to produce? Does, does the branch have any determinative power? Can it determine what it's going to produce? Can a, a branch on a grapefruit tree all of a sudden say, I'm going to switch teams and grow oranges this year? It, it doesn't happen. Can a Lewis child grow up to root for the bears? No, it doesn't happen. Like, they have no choice. We don't get to choose what fruit to produce. We just cling to the vine, and the life of the vine flows through us and produces the fruit. Our role is to be conduits. As branches, I think this is wonderful news, by the way. Because that means that as branches, we're not actually responsible for the outcome. The vine dresser is overseeing the process. The vine is the one producing and passing on the life 
the, the life of the vine. We're just conduits. We're like big straws from Jesus to those around us. Our role is just to be conduits. We are not responsible for the outcome. But there's also a really stern warning here, right? I don't think we can read this story and not see the warning and say, what about that warning? And the warning is that if the branches aren't producing fruit, they're going to be cut off and thrown in the burn pile. And that, that's harsh. That's stern. But it kind of makes sense because in this setup, if there is a production problem, it's going to be with the branches. Because the vine dresser, God the Father, he's not going to be the one causing the problem. The vine, Jesus, he's certainly not going to be the source of the problem. We're kind of the weak link in the system here. And so when there's bad fruit, it's because of bad branches. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Fellow branches, we have two options. We're either producing fruit and being pruned back. We're being trimmed and reshaped to produce better next time around. Or we're being cut off and separated. There's no in-between. There's, no, there's none of us branches that are exempt from, from that. We're either being pruned or we're being cut off. And on the one hand, it makes sense that the, the branch, we're just this big straw. We, we can't determine what comes out the other end. But at the same time, there's a sobering reality that as branches, there's a sense that we're being judged based on, on our fruit output. But we're a branch. All we can do is cling for dear life and pass on everything that comes our way. And that's all we can do. That's all we can do. The only way that we can impact this is if we stop passing it on. If we're drawing from Jesus and just hanging on to it. I'm not responsible for what happens when it comes out the other side. But as a branch, I am responsible for sending it through. And the deadly mistake that I see here that I can make is to not produce fruit, to not pass it on. To think that I am connected to Jesus because of what he's doing in me. Rather than to realize I am connected to Jesus because of what he wants to do through me. What's happening on the other end is the point of my connection to Jesus. As disciples, brothers and sisters, we cling for dear life to Jesus. And we pass on everything that we receive from him. We don't collect it. We don't debate it. We don't ignore it. We exist to pass it on. And when our connection to Jesus is good, Everything that flows through him will change us, and it will yield the right fruit. But if we're sitting on it, if we're connected to Jesus and we're clinging to him because we like what it does in us, we're in danger of getting cut off. 
And that's frightful. That is very frightful. Look at verses 4 through 6 again. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Look at the connection in verse 5 between abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit. It, it isn't that good branches get connected to Jesus and therefore bear good fruit. You don't see like superstar Christians and be like, boy, he was really good and then he found Jesus and now look at all he's doing. We were, we're all dead in our trespasses. We were all dead in our sins against God. We're all in rebellion against God. And all of a sudden, Jesus picks up the branch and grafts us in, and life starts to flow through us, and we are transformed. The only way that we can get that life is by being connected to Jesus. And the only way that we can sustain that life is by being connected to Jesus. Abiding, uh, there's, there's two powerful connotations to abiding. The first is a relational connection. We have a relationship with Jesus. It's, it's not just a, a mysterious, I have a relationship with God and, and I experience him at church. Or I experience him when I turn a certain song way up louder than I should. We are connected with Jesus. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, creator and sustainer. And he saved us and he lived with us. And, and in a very real sense, we should miss him when we're not with him. And we should feel, we should be aware of the lack of Jesus when we don't spend time in his word, when we're not spending time in prayer, when we're not fellowshipping with his people. We should miss him. It's a relational connection. But it's also a dependent connection. In my, my relationship with Jesus, I, I'm not buddy-buddy with him. This is not a gathering of equals. We're not peers. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And in an instant, he gives life and he takes life away. And I need him. The Bible tells us multiple times that Jesus is the author of life, the sustainer of life, that we are alive right now because of Jesus. Believers and non-believers alike, he keeps us going. He keeps the ants moving. He keeps the sun shining because he is accomplishing something. And as long as the sun is on and I'm connected to Jesus, I'm supposed to be passing him on. That's what he intends. If I'm not passing him on, I'm clogged, I'm a dead branch, and I get cut off. Clinging to Jesus produces fruit. Unless we hog it all for ourselves. As long as we realize that everything that we get from him is supposed to be flowing out to others. If we get that, then we become those that go after others. We become fishers of men. Because that's who Jesus is. He came to seek and to save the lost. He goes after others. And when we cling to him and he flows into us, we are transformed into his likeness. 
and we become those that go after others. And all of a sudden, we are successful disciples. Not because I'm better, but because he said, I'm going to make you people that go after others. That's, that's the tuning fork. Is, is what I know about Jesus, what I'm getting from Jesus, is it flowing through me to others, or am I sitting on it? That's the harsh question that this passage forces us to deal with. If we really are disciples of Jesus, then what we get from him as we cling to him should be flowing through us to those around us. There are seasons of life that that looks differently. There are some of you that, are in, that have the, the privilege of teaching Sunday school this month. And what you know about Jesus gets to, to be passed on in very precise ways uh, to the children of this church. There are others of you that regularly get together with, with others to read the word, to pray together, to encourage one another, to hold one another accountable, to grow in Jesus. And what you know about Jesus gets passed on. For some of you, it is simply not responding in kind to that really difficult boss or employee. For some of you, what you know about Jesus is getting passed on to the two-year-old running around your legs all day long. And that's valid. And sometimes in the middle of grief, passing on what we know about Jesus boils down to clinging to him in the midst of blinding pain. And that's all right. Giving away what we know about Jesus does not always require a podium and a microphone. But it does require a worldview that says, I'm connected to Jesus because of what he's doing over there. What he intends to do through me. As we conclude this, There's a word of encouragement that I have not read yet or dealt with yet in John 15, verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus has already done the work of cleaning us. Jesus, in connecting us to himself, Jesus has already dealt with our sin, with our separation, with our rebellion. Jesus dealt with that when he connected us to him. That part is done. I don't, as I, as I think about what I'm giving away of Jesus and how the Father is observing this, I'm not saying, okay, I need to give more away so that the Father is pleased because I, I need to somehow, like, shore up my connection to Jesus. We're clean. We're connected. God did it, period. Now the question is, what do we do with it? That's what this passage is about. This isn't about how we good, we get to prove that we're a branch by grabbing on. We get to earn being a branch by grabbing on. This passage is about what we are doing with what God has already done. He has done it. The work is complete. Our role is to pass it on. The Apostle Paul, um, he really gets this worldview. And one place where I want to show you that is 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17. It says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. The Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me is the foremost. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 15, Paul clearly grasps Jesus' saving work. From his perspective, there could be no worse sinner. And that didn't stop Jesus from saving him. By the way, I think that on the new earth, there's going to be like this long line of people that want to debate Paul about whether he's the chief of sinners or not. Because I'm pretty sure I'm worse. But, you know, we'll have all eternity to sort that out. The point that matters is that our sin is not going to stop Jesus from saving us. We don't have to clean ourselves up. Jesus made us clean. Jesus connected us. Jesus has dealt with our sin. But in verse 16, Paul recognized that Jesus saved him for a purpose. Paul was saved so that Jesus would be made known through him. Look at verse 16 again. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul, Paul fully grasps what God has done. He's not minimizing that at all. But he also realizes that God saved him for a purpose, because he wants to accomplish something. As branches, we exist in order to bear fruit. We are connected to Jesus because there's fruit that he intends to harvest. That's why we are connected to Jesus. We are connected to Jesus, hallelujah. And we get to be a part of the harvest that God is collecting, hallelujah. And Paul sees that and he, he explodes in worship in verse 17. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In, in John 15, Jesus tells us that the Father is watching for the right fruit. He's judging the branches accordingly. Branches yielding good fruit are, are trimmed back and shaped to produce even better fruit. And and branches not producing fruit are, are cut off and separated. And it, it seems severe, but here's why. John 15, 8. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The Father's plan, the vine dresser that's overseeing the whole process, his plan is the one that results in him receiving the full glory that he deserves. That's the plan that the vine dresser, God the Father, is executing, is carrying out. It's the plan that results in, in the full glory that he deserves. The vine serves the vine dresser pl dresser's plan. Jesus serves the Father's plan. And, and we branches, we cling tightly to Jesus. And we pass on everything that we could receive. Because when we do that, fruit comes out of it, and God the Father is glorified. Brothers and sisters, when we are fishers of men, when we go after others, and Jesus is flowing through us to them, our voice, our lone voice, becomes a chorus. 
And all of a sudden, the lamb who was slain receives worship, not just from me, but from all the fruit that he produced. I didn't produce the fruit. I'm just the, van, the, the, the branch. I just passed it on. But think about that. God designed a plan where he allows us to grow our voice into a chorus by what he does. God the Father does all the work. Revelation 7, it's not going to be behind me, says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all nations and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. KBC, God's plan is for us to arrive at that moment, not alone, but with a choir. He is drawing us into that process. He has made us a part of the choir, and he is bringing us into his process of growing that choir so that he receives the full glory that he deserves. I'm excited by that. I am so grateful that God didn't just connect me to Jesus and, and allow me to kind of sit here happy and kind of getting fat off the, off the vine. But that he made me a branch from which he grows fruit that I get to be a part of so that when we gather, there is a greater and greater chorus of worship to the God the Father who dreamed it up and to the Lamb of God who was slain to make it happen. I'm excited by that. So I'm going to close with with a reminder and with two questions. The reminders are just a, a recap. First, Jesus intends to make us those that go after others. He set out to make us those that will go after others. Second, we're branches. Our role as disciples is to cling to Jesus and to allow him to flow through us. That's our role. We cling and we let him flow. That's our role. And we're to bear fruit. Our purpose is to pass on the life that we receive as we cling to Jesus. That's our purpose. Two questions as we think about this. First, how does my role, that of a branch, and my purpose, producing fruit, need to impact my relationship with God? How does that reality that, that I cling to him in order to pass it on how does that impact or change how I approach God, how I think about him, what I ask of him, what I strive to have him do in me? And then second question, how does my role, that of a branch, and my purpose to bear fruit need to impact my daily life? Tuesday morning, when you're at work or at home, getting the kids to school, whatever it is you're doing Tuesday morning, how should your role and your purpose impact that moment? Because those are the moments in which God intends 
for the life of Jesus to flow through us so that he can produce fruit. Those are the moments that that happens. Tuesday mornings and Wednesday mornings and Thursday evenings. It's not just here when we're gathered. Here when we're gathered is when we get to sometimes reattach all the better to the vine so that we can go and he can flow through us. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for your word. I'm grateful for uh, the, the tuning fork that as we consider what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, as we try to sort out of, of all the things that cultural Christianity expects of us, of all the things that we are told we are to be, uh, that your word so effectively clears away the clutter and, and, and brings it down to one thing. Go after others. Be those that go after others. Cling to me. Let my life flow through you and go after others. And Father, I ask my prayer for Kishwaukee Bible Church is that we would be a church that is marked by this. Would you, from the youngest disciples of Jesus that are in the room right now, through to the most mature, most experienced disciples of Jesus in this room, would you make us branches that bear much fruit? Would you turn us into a growing, exponentially growing chorus of praise to the Lamb who was slain to take away our sin and the sin of the world, and to God the Father who dreamed it up and made it happen? And we worship you and we thank you.